We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. And we are live every Sunday morning, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I guess we had uh, a leap forward by one hour last night. I woke up, and I thought it was later than, than my body really knew. Uh, but uh, I'm up and in, in about now, and Bill and I are both bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with an extra cup of coffee. We are the answer, by the way, and I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. So you can join the show if you want, if you want to chime in on the topics. And this is an iHeart station, so you can get me on your smartphone as you roam around town. My website is drbillradiomd.com, and the station's website is am860theanswer.com, and you can also listen to me on your computer. Go to the website and click Listen Live or join me, and there you go. Well, I uh, saw an article about a boy out in Oregon. Now, this child racked up an $800,000-plus medical bill after a 57-day stay in the hospital, and this is from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, this was in 2017. This was a six-year-old in Oregon who lived on a farm, and he had never received any vaccinations, no tetanus, no measles, no mumps, no polio, nothing. And as you know from listening to me, I am very much opposed to parents being allowed to not immunize their children. So he spent nearly two months in the hospital, racked up this huge bill, and he was the first case of tetanus, pediatric tetanus, in Oregon in more than 30 years. I don't know, it may even be in the whole United States. Uh, At any rate, so he cut his forehead playing, and about a week later he started to have spasms, tetany, which is contractions of the muscle, and uh, his jaw started to lock up, which is where we get the term lock jaw from for for tetanus. Uh, Can't open your mouth. And then start arching of the neck and the back, and finally it attacked his respiratory center, and uh, he could not breathe, so the EMS came and picked him up, took him to the hospital, 
Obviously, he was sedated and intubated and artificially breathed for and kept alive that way until the tetanus toxoid wore off. Now, tetanus toxoid is a neurotoxin. That is, it attacks the nerve cells, and it specifically attacks the nerve cells that uh, made up with the muscle cells and tell the muscles to relax or contract. And it puts it into a permanent state of contraction. So then you can't do anything, include breathing, because you need your respiratory muscles to breathe. So here's an $800,000 plus bill that this kid racked up. And uh, people say, well, you know, parents should have the right to decide whether or not their children are vaccinated because of all the problems that come along with vaccines, which, of course, is a bunch of bunk. There are a few special medical cases where we can't give vaccines to kids because they're on chemotherapy or they have some autoimmune disease or they're allergic to one of the reagents. And we even have ways around some of the allergies that kids may have developed or have inherited to certain reagents that we make the vaccines with. Nevertheless, the parents should not have that choice. And here it is. Here it is. $800,000. Now, I'm assuming that living on a farm with parents who don't believe in vaccinations, they're probably off the grid. They're not going to have a lot of money. They're not going to have health insurance. Who's going to pay for this? I'll tell you who's going to pay for it. You and me, the taxpayers, the people that buy health care insurance. How does that work? Well, most of the kids in the United States are on Medicaid, as it is now. And Medicaid is a federal state program. So some of our tax dollars goes into Medicaid. And Medicaid is probably what's going to pick up a big chunk of this bill. Now, the hospital's going to suffer, too, because they're not going to get all their money that they have charged for the care this this kid got. So let's say Medicare pays them $100,000 and their hard costs out of pocket are $200,000. And then they have equipment and they have uh, personnel, nurses, they have ICU time, they have machinery, they have all these things that they're depreciating, uh, employees that they're paying. So they're out several hundred thousand dollars. Well, where are they going to make that up? Well, I can guarantee you that if you go to the emergency room there at that hospital or that hospital chain's emergency rooms, they're going to do everything they can to run that bill up a little bit more to try to make up for the shortfall. So you and I pay for this nonsense. Is this freedom? Is this what freedom is about? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, the argument has been, and... Senator Paul Rand, the, the brain-dead senator from Kentucky who calls himself a libertarian and a friend of freedom, and he's also thumping the, uh, pounding the drum about Trump going around Congress and going around the Constitution, which, of course, he has not on the, uh, on the national emergency for the border for building the wall. He's certainly within his rights to do that, and that's been upheld by the court, and we talked about that before. But uh, one of the things that, that the brain-dead Senator Rand Paul said 
was that parents should have the choice of immunizations because the measles vaccine caused autism, which I've gone over several times. And the two gentlemen, one was an MD, one was a researcher in, in London and in England who came up with this bogus theory, ended up recanting. Uh, the MD lost his license. Uh, they, they admitted they made it all up. God knows why. Uh, but the latest is that uh, the kids who received the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine are not at increased risk for autism. And that includes children who are sometimes considered to be high-risk groups uh, for abnormal neurologic development. And this is from a big study, a massive study. This was published in the journals, uh, in the uh, journal Annals of Internal Medicine. Annals of Internal Medicine is published by the American College of Physicians. And it's one of the largest studies of its kind to date. In it, uh, the researchers, and this was in Denmark, did a look back from 1999 to 2010. So that was a little more than a decade, uh, including kids who had received uh, an, a diagnosis of autism, autism spectrum disorder, it's called now. And this is a neurodevelopmental condition that affects the brain and interferes with a person's ability to interact normally, to make eye contact, uh, to control their emotions. And so this is, a, this is a very serious disease that we are recognizing more and more. I don't know if it's any more frequent, but it's certainly being diagnosed more. At any rate, the study shows that uh, after they looked at Oh, gosh, it was several hundred thousand kids. I think it was like 537,000 kids. They did a look back at this, at these kids who had been vaccinated, including kids who had autism. And they put all their statistical uh, minds to work on it and all the computers. And they could not come up with any correlation, with any connection whatsoever between the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine and autism. And I had said that years ago because I knew it was bunk and I knew that these guys had made this up and they finally came out and admitted it in England. That study was in 2002. And uh, so now here we are. And as recently as the last presidential election, the brain dead senator from Kentucky who was running for president in the primary said that the reason he thought it should be parental choice was because of the potential for autism from this vaccination, which, of course, is not true. So not only was he incorrect because he had not read the literature and didn't know, but he was irresponsible as well. And here's the, here's the, the living proof of this, is this, this massive group of of uh, people in the in the loony states of Washington and Oregon who have decided not to immunize their children, and now they've got a measles outbreak. They have this child that almost died from tetanus, and one death is not going to make or break the nation, but it's certainly going to cost us and drive up our health care bill if we have a, a lot of these kids that are not immunized and they end up with massive problems like this and end up in the hospital. And if you think measles is a benign disease, 
then look at the Philippines where they had 14, almost 15,000 people infected and 230 deaths. And you say, well, that's still not a big number. No, it's not. But you know what? The immunizations would have prevented all of that. So it would have prevented 15,000 casualties and the lost time, the people that died, the secondary problems that come with measles. And as we know with rubella, this can cause brain damage if you uh, contract this disease while you're pregnant and the, and the uh, fetus and the neonate. And it can cause deafness and it can cause all kinds of problems. So this is not benign. And we have developed these vaccines for these childhood diseases because of the problems that we saw over the centuries as physicians and researchers and scientists. There's a reason for all of this. And no, nothing is 100% safe. That includes your morning cup of coffee. You may spill it on you and get a little burn on your thigh or your hand, but uh, that's life, isn't it? But these are very safe and effective, well-established medical treatments that have been around for, for decades. And immunizations have been around actually for several hundred years maybe even a millennium. And that, that started with the smallpox vaccination and uh, oriental physicians were sticking cowpox and camelpox virus up people's noses to induce uh, immunization. And that traveled over to the Middle East and then from Turkey to England. And uh, that's how Jenner got the idea because the diplomatic moms came back from their station duties in Turkey and they brought the virus with them and they immunized their kids and then the moms in the neighborhood continued on with it. And even our own uh, second president's wife, John Adams' wife, Abigail, she immunized her kids with the virus that she got, and President Washington made sure that the Army was immunized, the Continental Army, and that spread up and down the colonies, and we were probably the first country on the planet to have widespread immunization against smallpox, and probably the first country to have a, an essentially a, a national program to immunize each other and make sure that we didn't get smallpox. Now, the smallpox vaccine is gone now because we've eliminated it in the United States and in most of the world, and there was an increased risk in kids who had autoimmune diseases if they got the smallpox vaccine of getting a, a serious disease. So we don't do that anymore because the science was there to say that the risk-benefit ratio was reversed and it wasn't worth it. But certainly measles, mumps, and rubella are good things, good things to immunize against. And adult mumps can be a serious disease. It can cause sterility in males. Uh, it can cause encephalitis, that's inflammation of the brain. And uh, there's all kinds of problems that can arise. And this is why we immunize. And we immunize against tetanus because it's a fatal disease. It's fatal. And guess what? There's no treatment for it. It's just support until the toxin wears off. It's not an infection in the sense that there is a bacteria or a virus that's going around and attacking our cells and killing them. 
it's the toxin that the bacteria releases, and it, it's it's like uh, a nerve gas, and you can't you can't move, you can't do anything, you're locked up, you can't breathe, and that's how people died in the past. So these are important uh, public issues that we need to address, and that we need to call down our so-called responsible members of society like Rand Paul, who should, if he still has his medical license, it should be pulled. The state of Kentucky should pull his license, in my opinion. But uh, I don't know. He may not even have it anymore. He may have given that up a long time ago. So he calls himself a libertarian. And his dad, I believe, was a libertarian as well. Incidentally, the Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the country with several hundred thousand members. It's still very, very small relative to the Democratic and Republican parties, but it's the third largest, believe it or not. And there are a lot of people that I know that subscribe to this philosophy of libertarianism. And this started uh, a few hundred years ago with John Locke and some of the philosophers that the founding fathers followed the belief that carrying forward the idea of personal freedom to the point where you could do what you want as long as you didn't hurt anybody else and society could do what it wanted as long as it didn't hurt you, but that you would not be responsible for paying for that. This philosophy has morphed into what is now current libertarianism. For a while it was uh, an ultra left-wing ideal, but that's changed with time. And we are now in a so-called conservative libertarian era where the libertarians believe in uh, being socially liberal but fiscally conservative. Well, you know what? This just doesn't work. And I, I sit and listen to my friends and some of them very intelligent people. My friend Al is one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he professes this, but he doesn't practice it. I mean, he, he's a doctor, and he continues to treat people and to be concerned about society and to uh, be involved in, in, in good deeds in many, many ways. But he, he professes this belief, and uh, you know, I challenged him, and I said, look, Al, if you have everybody doing what they want and essentially no government, when you come to a, a stoplight like at 38th Avenue North and 66th Street North in St. Petersburg, which is a busy, busy intersection, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 cars a day, how are you going to get people to uh, know what to do and how to behave? How are you going to prevent accidents without traffic lights? And, of course, that always stops him and he, you know, he thinks about it. I mean, you know, come on, this, this is just common sense. We're not out to force people to do things that they don't want to do, but we do have to have some order in society. And whether or not you think it's right that vaccinations are required or should be required, isn't it? Is not that, uh, germane to the argument because you have to defer some of your 
needs to other people. I mean, we do it all the time. And so you defer it to the doctors and the scientists and you say, what do we do to prevent this? How do we keep our kids safe? Well, we have school crossings and school guards and we have school buses and we have uh, police stationed at high schools now and supervision. I mean, we do a lot of things to protect our kids. We have sports and, and we make our kids do their homework and we have all these things that we do that we think are in their best interest and it looks like it's working fairly well. The, the, the United States seems to be doing okay. Countries are getting smarter and the whole world is doing better from what I can see. So why not immunizations? And you say, well, I didn't develop immunizations and I didn't have any vote on immunizations. Well, I mean, there's just some things that you have to defer to somebody else because it's it's too technical. It's I mean, I didn't have anything to do with the development of the computer, but I use them. And not only do I use them, I'm dependent upon them. We all are. I mean, everything we do now is in some way or another processed through a computer, touched by a computer, whether it's going to school, going to work, getting a paycheck, paying our taxes, uh, going to the doctor. It doesn't matter what it is. Almost everything we do has some aspect of computing involved in it. So do, do we have the right to absolute freedom? Lord, no. Come on. That's craziness. You know, you can't do that. And why do we uh, tolerate this kind of uh, uh, philosophy and nonsense? I mean, yes, we do have free speech and free thought. We do have the ability to run on whatever platform we want, whether it's libertarianism or anti-Israeliism or whatever it is. And, okay, so libertarianism advocates laissez-faire capitalism and strong private property rights, such as in land, infrastructure, and natural resources, so you can do what you want with your natural resources. I wish I had a uranium mine. I wonder what I would do with that, Bill. Oh, my. That sounds like fun to me. Let's do it, man. Let's build a bomb. <laughs> so the the whole idea of defending personal liberties uh, and uh, doing what we want with our personal property and our personal uh, possessions and our personal resources. Well, does that mean you own your kids? Can you do what you want with your kids? Well, you know, that that's craziness. I mean, that's what we have been morphing away from because kids used to be used as uh, chattel, as uh, as slaves. Abraham Lincoln was was forced to work for free for his father to pay off a debt to a neighbor. So he was an indentured servant, and, and Lincoln always uh, rebelled and reviled that and, and preached against it and talked about the evils of slavery and indentured servitude. And so the crowning glory of, of his uh, time as president was winning the Civil War and passing the uh, 13th and 14th Amendments, which outlawed slavery and brought in civil rights. So do we treat our children as property? I mean, then we can do with it what we want if we're libertarians. I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. Not only does 
a child who contracts a, a communicable disease. Now, tetanus, you cannot communicate from one person to another. That's something you pick up in the soil and the dirt and feces when it gets into a cut and the cut festers. But what about measles and mumps and rubella? What about tuberculosis? What about uh, smallpox? What about polio? I mean, th these are these are big deals, and they can be communicated from one person to another. And if you haven't seen polio, and a lot of people haven't, I know the millennials have probably never seen a case of polio, it's a devastating disease. I mean, it's a devastating disease. And I've seen a few adults in my generation and in generations that are uh, beneath me who have had polio because their parents didn't believe in immunizations. And it's really a sad thing to see uh, an adult with, with uh, braces on and shriveled legs, bent spine, and, and uh, you know, you think, oh, my goodness, why didn't your parents vaccinate you? Uh, I mean, it, it, it was so simple. It was so easy to do. There was the Salk and the Sabin vaccines. Salk was the injection. Sabin was the sugar cube, the oral. They've taken Sabin off the market because of a few rare problems uh, with that. But the Salk vaccine is still there. You should be forced to have your kids immunized. Society should step up and say, and uh, Washington and Oregon obviously are in a in a problem now, and they're backing off on some of their uh, lunacy towards personal freedom uh, and this idea that you don't have to get your kids vaccinated if you have some good reason, like some uh, religious reason. What, what religious reason could you have not to get your kids protected against diseases? I mean, come on. That's insane. That's insane. You know that that's uh, that's that's just a ridiculous, uh, nonsensical libertarian ideal that that serves no purpose for the child or the society or the parents. I mean, you get a sick kid like this, you got to take care of them. You get a kid that's brain damaged from a virus like measles or rubella, who's going to take care of them? You are. You and society, because it's going to cost money. So you can be socially liberal and fiscally conservative in your head, but you can't do it in reality. And if you think you're going to escape taxes, well, you know, you, you haven't been around long. I mean, there's only two things that are certain in life, and that's death and taxes. Everything else is, uh, is a crap roll. So the libertarians believe that they should be able to do what they want and pay as little as possible for the public good and welfare. And that if you don't want to immunize your kids and your kid gets sick, it's your problem and not theirs. Well, how can you uh, carry out mass immunizations without a legal mechanism whereby everybody has to go through the same thing, except in those rare cases where there is some honest-to-God medical reason. No religious reasons, no personal reasons not to immunize, no, not, none of this. I mean, societies just don't work when everybody's wandering off and doing their own thing. 
And you look at our society. I mean, you, you, you just look at one little town and all the, all the, uh, intricacies of the roads and the uh, infrastructure, the water lines, sewer, utilities, the internet, uh, building homes, clinics, hospitals, businesses, keeping people busy, making things we need, gas stations. I mean, you know, this is a town of one or 2,000 people, and the, the complexity of it is unbelievable. Now, think about 320, 30, 50 million people. Think about 7 billion people on the planet. We're not responsible for everybody, but it's getting more and more to be an international community, and we do share our resources, and we do share our knowledge, and we do share our uh, ability to prevent diseases and take care of, of each other because that's what you do, and it's called self-preservation. If the herd survives, then I have a better chance of surviving. So I have to make some commitment to the herd. Yes, I want my own personal freedom, and when I was young, of course, it was thinking I could do what I want. Now personal freedom is, oh, please, God, let me get all my work done so I can have a few minutes to drink a beer and relax in the evening. (laughs) That's my personal freedom. But, uh, you know, I like what I do, so I don't mind. Um, I don't mind working and, and, and toiling and uh, there's a joy in it for me. So for me, freedom has become doing what I do, being a productive member of society. And that's what we should all morph into. Not everybody has that ability, but most of us do. So we look at Rand Paul and we say, dude, you need to go. You need to go conservative on economic issues and liberal on personal freedom. They don't work. You can't say, well, everybody should be able to do what they want. Everybody should be able to spread any disease they want, (laughs) have sex with whoever they want. Who's going to pay for this? Who paid for the AIDS epidemic? Who paid for all this research? Who paid for all these people who are on treatment? You and me. We did. And that's not to say that we shouldn't try to cure the diseases that come up, including HIV, AIDS, or uh, tetanus, or anything else. But what it does mean is that we have to use some common sense when we put into effect our belief in personal freedom. Well, I'm going to grab a cup of Joe and I'll be right back and we'll talk about Camilla Harris. I want to know about this woman and why she's running for president and what her background is. So stick with me. I'll be right back. I'm Dr. Bill, your radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. China's central bank governor has affirmed today an official promise to avoid manipulating its currency to boost exports, an issue he says U.S. and Chinese negotiators have discussed in their latest talks aimed at ending a tariff war. Yi Gang gave no indication the sides reached agreements beyond previous commitments produced by meetings of the G20 major economic countries 
U.S. complaints that Beijing manipulates the yuan for a trade advantage have taken a backseat to frustration at its industrial policy. Ethiopian Airlines CEO and Kenya's transport minister say Canadians, Chinese, and Americans, amongst 157 people who were killed this morning when an Ethiopian airliner crashed just after takeoff from Addis Ababa. And North Korean voters are going to the polls today to select legislators. It's all a sham. There's only one person on the ballot for each spot. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. It's so nice now that the kids are asleep. Cheers. We got the kids, our house, A stable income? Checking off all the boxes. But there's one box we haven't checked off. What's that? Life insurance. We don't need to think about that now. We're young. That's why now is the best time. Life insurance gets more expensive the older you get. But I don't have time to do a blood test. It's such a hassle to meet with someone just to get a quote. Not with Ethos. Ethos? It's a modern kind of life insurance. You just answer four quick questions at GetEthos.com and get a free instant quote. No pushy salespeople. And no medical exams required for policies covering under a million dollars. You can apply online in just 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Let's do it. Hmm. But then what will we do for the rest of the night? I'm sure we can think of something. (laughs) Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to GetEthos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. GetEthos.com. GetEthos.com. Human trafficking is modern-day slavery, and it happens in our own communities. Victims can be any gender, age, or race. Join the Department of Homeland Security's Blue Campaign to learn how to recognize and report this heinous crime. Visit our website at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. That's www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. Your second look could be their second chance. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Periods of clouds and sunshine. Today's high, 83. Partly cloudy with areas of late night fog tonight, low 65. Morning fog tomorrow, otherwise partly sunny, high 83. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, low 65. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Jonathan Reed. For AM860, The Answer. Hold on to me Don't let me go Cheetahs need to eat A little bit of Pharrell Williams and Freedom. I'm Dr. Bill. I'm back. 
here on the Dr. Bill Radio MD show. Welcome to the show. I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600 if you want to join the show or have some input on the topics. Let me know. I'm morphing from uh, yeah, 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 personal freedom and libertarianism and childhood immunizations onto Camilla Harris, the United States senator from California, junior senator, interesting lady. Uh, she is the product of a Jamaican and a Tamil. Her father was Jamaican of mixed heritage, uh, Looks like he has some African blood in him as well as some European blood. And her mother is a Tamil from uh, southern India. Now, that's India over in the Indian subcontinent over in Asia. Now, who are the Tamils? Well, the Tamils are an ethnic subgroup within the Indian population, which has a state at the very southern tip of India, and the Tamils have also uh, traveled over to Sri Lanka, what was formerly Ceylon. And there was a big Tamil uprising there several years ago, and they had a civil war. Now, the Tamils uh, are ethnically a little bit different from the main Indian population. And there are some that believe that they were probably the first people that came out of Africa and made their way along the, the coastlines of the uh, Arabian Sea, the Persian Gulf, the Indian Ocean, down into southern tip of India, and then out across the the archipelago when the water levels were lower, and they could make their way into Australia and the Aboriginal people, and then fanned out into Pacifica. So this is a little bit different, and she considers herself black. She actually went to Howard University in Washington, D.C. for her college, and uh, that is or has traditionally been about an all-black college. I don't know if it still is. Uh, so she sees herself as a person of color, and this is not uncommon for a lot of people in the world when they are in contact with those of us who are of European descent And, of course, we're being maligned at this point in history for all the terrible things we did, like, uh, you know, cure diseases and prevent tetanus and other things. Uh, But uh, that's a whole other story. We'll talk about that another time. So at the lunch table, of course, there's a lot of Hindu doctors on staff, and uh, they're quick to point out when talking about civil rights and different things that they're people of color. And some of them have been... uh, at least when they first came to the United States, have been uh, uh, um, or have experienced prejudice and racism. And uh, so they have recent memories. Some of the older guys, the younger guys, no, they don't have that. And, of course, the, the children of the doctors who came here in the 70s and 80s who are now Adults, and they're also professionals, a lot of them. Uh, you don't hear that from them, but you do hear it from their parents. And, and so I'll listen to this, and, and I say to my, my Indian friends, I say, look, you're not any different than me. I mean, 
from what we can tell, it was probably the Aryans uh, in India that came back into Europe and populated it. And then the, the current day Europeans are descendants of the quote, quote, Aryans who came from that part of the world that was initially populated by these folks that also have produced the Indian subcontinent, the nation. Uh, and let's face it, basically, we're all African because we all came out of Africa at some point, at least from what we can tell by following the genetics and by following the linguistics and by following the archaeology and the anthropology that we're all out of Africa. So I'm not sure if there is really that much difference. However, in, in the minds of a lot of people who are not of, quote, quote, European descent, they see themselves as people of color and uh, feel that they have been prejudiced against and uh, that they have had opportunities uh, withheld because of their their color. And I understand that. So Camilla Harris, Camilla Devi, D-E-V-I, which is uh, Camilla and Devi are Hindi uh, names. They're, the Hindus speak dialects of Hindi. And Hindi and Sanskrit are the uh, ancient languages of the Indian subcontinent. By the way, all the states in, in India that make up the country of India, they all have a different language. And uh, they can't always understand each other. So English has become their national language. So she was born in Oakland, California, graduated from Howard University and the University of California, Hastings College of Law. She has worked as the San Francisco District Attorney, the City of Attorney of San Francisco, and uh, she has been the Attorney General of California. She has also been elected the uh, junior senator from, from California after Barbara Boxer retired. And she has had support from not only Diana Feinstein, but also Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi both of whom are from California. And now she's running for president. She launched her campaign in January of this year. And she vows to fight for the largest middle class tax cut in a generation. And of course, she wants to increase tax on the most wealthy, the top 1%, she says. I got a feeling that'll expand <laughs> as we go down the road. And I'll get caught up in that. It'll go from 1% to 5 or 10% at the top. Uh, which right now the top 1% are already paying 30% uh, of the taxes or whatever, and the top 5 or 10% are paying 95% of the taxes. Uh, and you say, well, I pay Medicare and Social Security. Well, those technically aren't taxes there. Medicare is a retirement plan, uh, not a retirement plan. It is a, a health care plan. And Social Security is a retirement trust fund. These are trust funds that are not taxes per se. But <clears throat> nevertheless, they are what they are. So she has been involved in a number of uh, agendas out in California. She claims that she uh, has lowered the crime rate and increased the, uh, the conviction rate when she was the uh, district attorney for San Francisco, and that she cleared out a bunch of murder cases that had gone uncleared. 
And the problem in San Francisco is that the jury pools are ultra liberal and very forgiving. Uh, now, she did get into trouble in 2004 with the San Francisco Police Department when an officer named Isaac Espinosa was shot and killed in the line of duty. And Harris announced at that time that she would not seek, she would not seek the death penalty, which infuriated the San Francisco Police Officers Association. And even Diana Feinstein uh, at the funeral service in St. Mary's Cathedral rose to the pulpit and called on Harris who was sitting in the front row to secure the death penalty, prompting a standing ovation from 2000 cops that were in the church. So, uh, she has been on the wrong side of the police in that respect, but in, in, in another sense, the police have liked her because she has been pretty diligent in going after and prosecuting and getting convictions. Now, a lot of this is by reducing the the uh, the charges. So uh, if it's a second degree murder, she'd cut deals with people and they agreed to uh, to plead to manslaughter, which reduced the prison time. And so she can and any prosecutor can make deals within the limits of the laws of that state or the federal laws, depending on whether it's a federal or a state prosecution. So you can look good by negotiation. And uh, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that's the way it is. And you can puff up your resume. And I got to tell you a story. I'm, I'm sitting in the office talking with a patient and her husband is a retired uh, cop from Hamilton, Ontario. And he was a, 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 a homicide detective for 15 years, 20 years, whatever. And we were talking and swapping stories. And I told him about my nephew, who's a forensic pathologist. And, and so we got to talking about, it, and I said, I guess it was uh, tough. And he said, I got to tell you, doc, the toughest thing about the whole job. I said, what's that? He said, the lawyers, they all lie, all of them, all the time about everything. Now, this is a cop who's working as a homicide detective and, and Camilla's a lawyer. And we know that she has bent things one way and another, and that's what lawyers do. I understand that. I understand that they argue for their client. And she has even said when she has taken unpopular stands for the state, when she was the attorney general for the state of California, that she was doing the work for her client and she really had no choice. And as a lawyer, that's true. You're, you're sworn to represent your client and to do the best job you can for them. So she wrote a book in 2009 called smart on crime, a career prosecutors plan to make us safer. And, uh, she I'm sure touted herself in this book and argued for what she referred to as a smarter approach when it comes to combating nonviolent crime emphasizing prevention, uh, going after truancy, criminalizing parents, uh, uh, criminalizing truancy so that parents could be prosecuted if their kids didn't go to school, and uh, treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder in children. Uh, presumably this is to treat the uh, children who are abused and neglected and and I don't have a problem with that. I've, I've long been an advocate of intervening early on 
and abuse and neglect cases so that we don't end up having these little sociopaths running around. And she tried to debunk myths, myths revolving around the judicial system and prosecution. Now, she was called one of the top lawyers in, uh, in California back in 2009, 2010 by the Los Angeles Daily Journal. And she has received a lot of uh, kudos and laudits from different people within the state. And she even worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who signed a bill into law, uh, the uh, Back on Track Reentry Act, which was an attempt to rehabilitate rehabilitate prisoners, uh, and people who had been convicted, and uh, it actually was a failure. There were only 300 graduates, but in these 300 graduates, recidivism uh, did drop precipitously. So uh, there's obviously going to be a group of people who get into trouble and do criminal things in their youth and in their stupidity who are really not bad people and when given a second chance and the right, uh, the right uh, direction and leadership that they can come back out and be productive members of society. But this is not a big, a big group of people. This is a small group of people. So it sounds good on paper, and she has been touting this as one of her uh, accomplishments, and she even got Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was Governor Arnold, when he was Governor of the state, to sign this bill. And it uh, looks good on her resume. And she says that while San Francisco District Attorney, the overall felony conviction rate rose uh, from 52 to 67 percent. So the conviction rate did go up, although it was still below the state's average. And you can say, well, that's because she didn't do a good job. Well, probably it's because of the jury and, and the jury pools in San Francisco, which are ultra liberal and have been since the uh, city was founded at the time of the gold rush. They've always been a little bit of a, of a left uh, wing outfit out there. So I'm not sure that uh, we can hold her responsible for being below the state conviction rate. Uh, I'm sure that she did try hard and she seems pretty diligent and pretty passionate about everything that she does. So as the attorney general, she went after the subprime mortgage lenders in the crisis back in 2009, 2010, 2012, she participated in the national mortgage settlement against five banks, securing 12 billion of debt reduction for the state's homeowners and $26 billion overall across the country. So California got the biggest chunk of that. She introduced the California Homeowners Bill of Rights in the state legislature, and this took effect in 2013, and it it banned some of the practices that were considered uh, egregious uh, that lenders were doing, including robo-signing, and uh, she went after different financial institutions and people and got some convictions. Uh, She also went after our current uh, Secretary of the, of the Treasury, Munchen, I think is his name. Is that how you pronounce that, Bill? I can't remember. I think I've got it pretty close. 
and he was uh, over a big bank that she got a big settlement from. She prosecuted financial crimes. Steve Munchen's bank, One West, uh, had apparently made a lot of home loans and had gotten into trouble. And uh, she actually voted against him, although she did uh, have him donate $2,000 to her senatorial campaign. I guess that wasn't enough to keep her from voting against him. <laughs> so he... He chunked in two grand into her campaign, and apparently he didn't contribute to any any other senatorial campaign uh, in California. Uh, and he he probably saw the handwriting on the wall that once she was senator, he would have even more difficulty. But he did pass, and he's now our secretary of the treasury. And she went after prosecutors who had inserted false confessions and interrogation into an interrogation transcript who had committed perjury and withheld evidence. And you say, well, that's a good thing. Well, you're going to have to get all the lawyers and prosecute them all because they all tell lies. Well, I shouldn't say that, but you know, th this is a big problem in, in, in criminal laws. Both sides get in there and they lie in the same way with, uh, with family court and, and divorces uh, and child custody situations, the, uh, the judge, when I was before uh, the, the family court and a settlement with, over my son and my former, my ex, uh, he said, you know, everybody lies when they come up here. I mean, he said this to me right in court. He said, Doc, they all lie. <laughs> so... And we do lie. We all lie. I mean, we all tell little lies throughout the day. But to do this in open court, uh, to falsify confessions and insert false transcripts and and tell lies under oath as an officer of the court, not you know, I don't think this is a good thing. And of course, a lot of convictions were overturned because of this. And she went after him. She also wanted to be on the Supreme Court or the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, but she got into the Senate seat, and now she's running for president. And uh, she sees herself as a person of color, okay? And so I'm the white guy, and I'm bad. And she sees people like Trump as uh, white supremacist, and she's the poor, downtrodden black woman. Looks like she's doing pretty good to me. And so... She wants to increase my taxes, make me pay, and expand social welfare programs, and do all of these things that uh, are somewhat anathema to what I believe. So her positions are she's pro-abortion, she's pro-cannabis, uh, she's opposed to the death penalty, but said that each case should be individually reviewed. Uh, she believes in more disaster relief and believes that Hurricane Maria down in, in the uh, Puerto Rican island uh, was not adequately managed by the FEMA, and it's all Trump's fault. Um, of course, she wants to expand education and uh, go after truancy. Um, she's a big pro-environmentalist. Uh, foreign policy, she has some 
good and some bad uh, ideas. She wants to see uh, Israeli settlements in the Palestinian-occupied territories uh, taken out and as a violation of international law. So she's anti-Israel in that respect. And, of course, she's a big gun control person, so we, we're worried about that, health care, etc. So we got things to look at in her. And I'll be back next week to see you guys. I am Dr. Bill 